I, I mentioned a, a line earlier. One of my favorites is, and this, uh, this is, I think it's just a good one for life, doing what I can with what I got. It's the best all of us can do. And I think it speaks well to all of us. We've all been given a, a different set of circumstances, a different set of talents. And sometimes you don't have what it takes. But by golly, you can find that thing within yourself that works for what you need at the moment. So I do love that line, doing what I can with what I got. I think that's good preaching for life in general. There are great fun lines. Uh, I feel I was denied critical need to know information. Uh, the first kill in the first piece broke into the wrong goddamn rec room, didn't you, you bastards? Broke into the wrong goddamn rec room, didn't you, you bastard? Bird is full of great things like that. You wanna see and you wanna see Like when the xenomorph took out Harry Dean You wanna see and you wanna see Like when Bobby D says you're talking to me Seen it all with Jeff and John Hey everybody, welcome to Seen It All with Jeff and John The podcast where we break down our favorite scenes from our favorite movies I am Jeff Glover And I'm John Zabriskie And in this episode... We're going to break into the wrong goddamn rec room. Broke into the wrong goddamn rec room, didn't you, you bastard? <laughs> That's right. We are talking about a scene from the 1990 PG-13 horror action comedy cult classic, Tremors. Perfection. A scorched outpost in the middle of nowhere. You know how close I am to leaving this place right now? How close? Maybe that's why Val and Earl decided to leave town. Hey, hold up. That's Edgar Deans. They just picked the wrong day to do it. Jeez. could be doing it. Is that a snake? I'll give you boys five dollars for this. Twenty. That's how they get you. They're under the ground. What the hell are those things? How could they eat a whole station wagon? But where do they come from? I vote for outer space. No way these are local boys. You see, they're headed right for us. No Richter scale can measure it. They're coming! No scientist can explain it. Bert, they're under the ground! You didn't get penetration even with the elephant gun! Run, run! And no one knows what to call it. Megaworms or suckers or, or suckoids. Now this valley is just one long smorgasbord. Now it's up to Val and Earl to save the world. That's one big mother. Who died and made you Einstein? And they know just what to do. Flip for it. Damn. Kevin Bacon. Fred Ward. Tremors. Ooh, Tremors, Tremors. Yeah, good, good, good choice of a movie here. And we'll talk about the scene in a little bit, but... Uh, Jeff, you chose the movie. Surely you have to have some kind of connections, some kind of memories tied to this movie. Oh, buddy, I'm excited to talk <laughs> about this one. This is an all this is an all timer for me. This is uh, one of my favorites. This is uh, actually kind of a family favorite in our house when I was growing mm. up. Um, this, you know, this came out in 1990, and I know I didn't see it theatrically, but um, 
I saw it pretty quickly afterwards, probably on home video, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but since it was PG-13, it was something that the whole family could watch and it was more or less appropriate. And uh, so we just saw it like countless times, either on cable or renting it like throughout the 90s. And it just it just became one of those movies that I kind of know by heart. Like I just know all the beats. I can like lip sync to a bunch of the... Uh, sections of it and i i uh, hot take i kind of think it's a perfect movie wow that's that's apropos of the the town name perfection it 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 is literal perfection (laughs) (laughs) quite literal perfection (laughs) but uh, but i do say that kind of in all seriousness like Mm -hmm. people always talk about you know back to the future being an example of a quote-unquote like perfect movie right in terms of the script storytelling you know the pace of the movie the characters and and like the eventual payoff. But uh, I, I actually do think Tremors is kind of in that conversation. It it follows a very strict like three-act structure. It has a kind of perfect beginning and setup. It has a great middle section that turns into kind of a survival story. And then a very satisfying ending. And uh, yeah. I feel like no scene in this movie is wasted. It's just it moves like really quickly. Um, and... Um, you know, every, every scene in the first act of this movie kind of does this amazing thing where it sort of simultaneously teases us with the presence of these underground monsters while at the same time, like perfectly developing all of our characters. And I just, I love the first part of this movie and the way it sets up the story. Mm-hmm. Even though we're not even talking about the first part of the movie. But- I know. Um, yeah, you, you sound, yeah, I'm sold on it. You sound like you really, uh, appreciate this movie. I definitely enjoyed it this time around. I think I've last watched it maybe 15 years ago. Oh, wow. I don't know, but it, it's, it's one that was on cable rotation for sure. Yeah. If not, is it the, yeah, if not at the Zabriskie household, then like at my friend's houses, because like when you're, you know, what is this, 1990? So when we're 10, 11, 12, you still feel like, oh, I'm kind of watching a scary movie. And right. kind of, it's like, there's a little bit of blood and, and guts, even though the guts, of course, are uh, graboid guts. Graboid guts. <laughs> graboid guts. It, it's There's still that kind of like that B movie slash horror movie yeah. vibe, which I remember as a 10, 11, 12 year old watching a lot on USA Up All Night, mm-hmm. seeing all kinds of those kind of movies. This does fit into that. Uh, that kind of yeah movie genre or blending of genres like you were saying um, a real great creature feature is is this our first creature feature of I guess Jurassic Park is also a creature feature yeah kind of although this I think this falls more into the creature feature category because the creatures are mythical I guess um, I guess I right. guess dinosaurs brought back for the dead is also kind of science fiction too but um this is like a completely made up um, monster, right? Which I think. Well, I guess kind of like Alien, but those. Yeah. But that's a completely different movie. I yeah, when I hear creature feature. I do not things think things like Alien or Predator. I think things like <laughs> like this, like uh, the one with the spiders, what eight legged freaks. Right, right. I think of uh, maybe not Slither. What's the one? from the eighties, it was night of the creeps. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just, uh, yeah. I think you have to have a little bit of campiness to call it a creature feature. I agree. Um, I agree. There's gotta be a little comedy mixed in with your horror 
or, yeah. or else it's it doesn't fall into that category. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. Do you remember the first time you saw this, or is that not something that's like tracked in your mind? Uh, I don't think it's tracked in my mind, other than kind of like Jaws making you scared of water, Predator making me kind of scared. I remember I remember watching Predator when I was little and like being scared of the woods a little bit. Mm-hmm. I remember sometimes like being in more or less a little bit of a desert setting and have that that thought that, you know, something could come out of the ground and, you know, locate the nearest high ground, locate the nearest uh, solid ground, like rocks, um, especially move, when we moved out here to Washington in uh, 94. 94. Um, one of the first trips we took was out to eastern Washington in the Petrified Forest. Oh, yeah. And that was one of the just one of the movies I had seen. I don't know, maybe my dad had rented it from the local Hollywood video or something like that. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> having that thought in my head of... Oh, like those thing, those those trimmers under the ground. I don't think I called them graboids until <laughs> probably the last time I watched it, or probably uh, when I was watching the Dead Meat series. Yeah. No, not the Dead Meat series. No, I think I was listening to some podcasts. That's what it was. I was listening to some now now playing retrospective podcast when the latest one, uh, Shriekers Island, came out. And oh, I remember yeah. listening to that whole yeah. retrospective and learning that they're called graboids. Like, oh, okay. Even though they're named that in the movie here, it's just not a name that stuck with me for some reason. Right, right. It, it's funny because the movie's called Tremors. And so there's a, a you want to just call the animals like tremors kind of, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. But right. they they definitely throughout the movie, they never use that word. They just refer to them as graboids if they're ever talking about them specifically. You know, you mentioned Jaws. I actually think this movie in a funny way has a lot of parallels with Jaws. Mm-hmm. You know, like absolutely, you've got this monster that's or monsters that in this case that are hunting them from below. And a lot of the filmmaking, I think, can be credited to like not existing if Jaws didn't exist. The way, the way that they are able to show the graboids moving under the ground uh, mm-hmm. and moving around the town without actually showing them, I think is kind of brilliant. It's one of my favorite parts of this movie is like the creativity of the visual effects. Mm-hmm. Really cool. Like when, you know, right before the scene we're going to talk about, they they do the thing where the the graboid is moving underneath the porch of the store and all the slack yes. on the porch like are flying up or there's several times where like they, a wave. Yeah. Like a wave of wood slats. Yeah. <laughs> and there's several times when they just use the environment to show that the monsters are moving around, whether it's like dirt puffing up or like a fence shaking or, or whatever. It's just really creative. You know, once again, we find ourselves watching a movie from the early nineties. That's, pre-CGI. Once again, I'm just reminded how much I love this era of filmmaking era era, uh, just because of the way it forces you to be creative in that way Mm -hmm. and find interesting ways to show that the monsters are around. Like, I I just think it's really fun. It's just really cool. Yeah. I think we have enough uh, episodes under the belt to, to look back like that. And yeah, I I would agree with that testament that a lot of the movies that we end up picking and talking about if they have some kind of big effect they need to pull off because they're mostly 80s and 90s movies <laughs> they're doing it all practically they're not doing it with a computer even the jurassic park side of things uh they work really hard to meld the incoming cgi right. technology with the uh, practical effects with dummies with puppets um 
just just funny side story real quick about that is I'm teaching what are called feature articles right now in language arts. Mm. And that's where you can choose a topic about whatever you want and you just create what's called a feature article or, or informational article. You know, and it has like information about the topic. It has like little sidebars and text boxes, yeah. and photos and graphics. And it's always fun to see what they pick. And one student chose uh, the making of Jurassic Park. And I was Whoa, just like, nice. I've just been like losing my mind every day, helping them research. It's been so great. Like, <laughs> this kid's project's going to be so good. <laughs> I was telling them about ILM and like all the stuff we had researched, like without giving away if it's like, oh, I do those podcasts because uh, I guarantee no kid wants to hear that. Um, <laughs> it sounds a little bit creepy telling kids, so I don't do that. <laughs> you, should, you should subscribe and like my podcast. <laughs> do you like my podcast? <laughs> should bring print girl or whatever. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, uh, on the on that track, I was talking to him today about. Um, how they mix the CG and the um, and the, practical. the practical so yeah the practical so well in that in that movie you just can't see the seams and yeah like here they're not using any CG it's just all practical yeah, whether it's none uh, whatsoever. up close yeah. up close puppetry or like life size models yeah um, and uh, when I watched the Dead Meat podcast on this specific movie just uh, I think a couple days ago um, they're explaining where some of those differences were, especially in the uh, Heather Burt uh, gun scene. Sure. Oh man, we'll get into it. That's such a great, such a great moment. Um, I couldn't choose a scene from this movie without like shoehorning <laughs> that one in there. Like it's, it's so good. Um, I'm of the opinion that the special effects, the visual effects in this movie, like 100% hold up. Oh, sure. I was just watching it tonight and I was saying to myself like, man, this like, this looks great. Mm-hmm. Like obviously it's puppetry and stuff, but I mean the the pains that they took to make these these models um, look realistic and like gooey and organic. Um, mm-hmm. It's really impressive, I think. Yeah, it's it's tactile. Light is hitting it when they actually are sh- shooting it later, or when it's splattering on the ground at yeah. the end of the movie. Yeah, it's like you, you, you feel that's something that always strikes or that always pops into my head when I'm watching this movie, just how much graboid guts there are. Um, it's just a it's lot really of graboid funny. guts. <laughs> yeah, these creature features, it's like I think that's also what maybe what makes a creature feature is that the heroes are generally killing off the creatures and creature features. Yeah. Um, and yeah, maybe some of the heroes die, but it's not necessarily like a, a dire kind of ending where one person has taken on uh, the the enemies, these, these bad creatures, um, a, a creature. And you're usually feature. seeing the creatures, usually seeing the creatures like just be taken out in different ways. And usually there's multiple creatures, right? Like you're saying, like the, those effects really hold up. Cause you just feel it when like the worm splats, uh, <laughs> even into the concrete wall in the beginning or the oh, first yes. graboid who dies uh, all the way up to being shot here in this scene, all the way to the end where it, <laughs> it totally falls off the cliff's edge and blows up in a great, uh, explosion of, I think what was mostly pumpkin. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I was reading about. I think, uh, a creature feature is required to have like a slime budget. Like there's, Oh yeah. You gotta have slime. There's gotta be some goo. Yeah. Yeah. The actors are going to get messy. Like they're sprayed a few times, I think in this movie yeah. <laughs> with guts or the, yeah. So we're going to talk about our scene here in a bit, but I, I wanted to, 
tease out with you a little bit if you'll uh, indulge me here. Um, mm-hmm. Like the setup to this movie, like the first half hour or so. I I mentioned this, I alluded to this before. I I, I really do think it's kind of uh, brilliant how this movie begins. And within the first 30 minutes, we, we learn all about the different characters that are in this tiny, tiny town. And uh, we all, we kind of get a basic understanding about the town of perfection and sort of what each person's like situation is. And I, I really kind of appreciate how all the different characters are not really played as like simpletons or like idiots, you know, like, right. like they're all like they've chosen this life that they live in the middle of nowhere in the desert, but they're not dummies. And when this problem starts to arise, they are working together to solve the problem um, with maybe the exception of Melvin. No one likes Melvin, uh, <laughs> but you know, even like the characters of Mike, you know, Michael gross and Reba McIntyre who are great in this, by the way, mm-hmm. um, Wonderful. They, they're, it would have been easy to portray them as like crazy. Um, and maybe they are to a certain extent, like they're <laughs> doomsday preppers that have, you know, been waiting for world war three, their whole lives, but they are still sort of well-liked within this little community. And, oh sure, and I don't know. I think that's it, they could have taken it a different direction, and I I appreciate the way they kind of built a little understanding of this little community that we get dropped into in this movie. Yeah, you mentioned characters, and that's what stands out from minute one is uh, the, are the characters, the relationship between Val uh, and Earl, just uh, yeah. just wonderful, wonderful characters, wonderful actors, Fred Ward. And Kevin Bacon. Kevin um, Bacon just like, knocks this movie out of the park, dude. He's, oh, he kills it. He said it's the most fun he's ever had filming a movie, which is on the IMDb for the movie, mm-hmm. alongside the fact that he was also uh, apparently in feeling dis- despair when he was filming the movie. <laughs> and he was <laughs> <laughs> crying to a pregnant Kira Sedgwick that oh, yeah. uh, he's making a movie about desert worms at the time. But then he looks back. <laughs> he looks back, as, as we all do fondly, uh-huh. on our youth and like our little adventures before we all hit it big, like Kevin Bacon. And, you know, he's, he's come back to it, I think, one time in the canceled TV pilot or canceled TV show that never really aired. Oh, did he really? Um, he made a little guest appearance? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think he made a guest appearance or he even, like, maybe starred in that show. It was like a sci-fi that never actually aired. But, oh, I never, um, yeah, never looked into that one. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, but getting back to your point, I mean, near the beginning of the movie, they drive into perfection, population fourteen, right, right there, <laughs> uh, and like you said, like these aren't simpletons; these are people who are just making their lives out in the desert. Um, they know how to survive in the desert, so it's not like a huge surprise that they're able to uh, overcome some stuff that comes from the desert. And and they're all characters with personality and they're likable. Yeah. And that's they all it. have their own likeable. little relationships. Right. Like Errol's always yelling at Melvin. You don't know what the beef is there, but <laughs> you, you know, there's some backstory there and, you know, Walter runs this great little market that, you know, I'd love to run across uh, in the middle of the desert. It's got the got coldest Heather. beer in town. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> coldest beer in town. He's got a, a Pepsi machine that'll, well, that'll kill yeah, you. It's apparently. also the only beer in town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the only beer in town. <laughs> exactly. It's such a great cast, dude. It's, it's like yeah. a great just collection of character actors that all just 
know exactly what kind of movie they're making, mm-hmm. but don't play it for laughs. Like they play it earnestly. And, you know, Kevin Bacon, you got Fred Ward, Michael Gross. This is Reba McIntyre's first acting uh, role yeah. ever. And she's great. You got. T- no, she's one. I, yeah, I love Reba. Oh. I, love, I love, I love how understated she's playing it. She's not playing it like yeah. big and bold and in your face. It's just like what a survivalist would act like, like something intrudes on the property, grab the guns, not yeah. freak out. She's not trying to steal scenes. Like she's just playing no. a character. Uh, you know, we get Tony Gennaro in there. We get Victor Wong. What? Oh, the return of Victor Wong. <laughs> for Big Trouble. Our second Victor Wong sighting on this podcast. Exactly. First Kevin Bacon sighting, but our second Victor Wong. <laughs> this is now a Victor Wong podcast. <laughs> it is. If two out of the 17 shows. Yeah, it's, it's run a good percentage. I think we, what else do we need? Prince of Darkness. Yeah, Prince of Darkness. Uh, the, the Three Ninjas movies, I think. Ooh, is it? What was the one? about something mountain uh he was in all of them i think he was the grandpa or the uncle yeah there one of the three ninjas movie had the most ridiculous name it was like three ninjas three i can uh something about easily look it up. are you looking it up i should look three ninjas film oh three ninjas. i got it Hi, three ninjas, high noon at Mega Mountain. <laughs> wow. It's Mega. Wow. <laughs> I, I don't know what any of that means. That sounds amazing. Is that though. the one that Hulk Hogan was in? It might Hulk be. Hulk Hogan's like the bad guy? Oh, dude. <laughs> he better be. He looks like kind of Sean Connery with that uh, toupee. Dude. We just figured out our next movie. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, the scene I'm choosing for next time, Jeff, is <laughs> the entirety uh, of the, just <laughs> the entire movie. <laughs> three Ninjas, High Noon, and Mega Mountain. The three headlines are Hulk Hogan, Lonnie Anderson, and Jim Varney. Oh, Jim Varney in a rare non-Ernest role. Wow. Yeah, I have no idea. Maybe he cameos at Ernest. Like <laughs> he just shows. You know up. what I mean? oh my god that's amazing all right well that's my recommend for this week um (laughs) early recommend three ninjas high noon that is a mouthful it's yeah it really mega mountain couldn't be high noon (laughs) nope all of them it's everything just throw them all in starring hulk hogan yeah yeah we should probably get into our scene here soon did you have anything else uh to add about uh just tremors in general uh let's see you know me as not a huge fan of horror so when you're asking about uh watching this as a kid i'm sure i'm sure this put i'm sure this put some fear into me as i was watching i'm sure i was kind of like Mm. in suspense for many of these (laughs) for many of these moments and looking back i'm not really sure how but um (laughs) the scariness doesn't hold up but definitely like the care i just like totally uh grab onto those characters and I love those characters. So that's, that's what really makes it for me. Whereas alien, I was still scared watching that. Yeah. I still had to like kind of look away a couple of times when I was reading that, maybe even Friday the 13th part two, but yeah. <laughs> tremors is just like, uh, just went down easy. It's yeah. It's a nice, it's a nice light beer on a cold day. You know, it just goes down really easy. Yeah. With your buds, with your buds. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's what makes, that's, I think that's one of the things I like about this movie so much is is it is easygoing. It's it's a um, for every moment of uh, like jump scare or monsters jumping out of the ground. There's 
it's followed very quickly by just a moment of levity between some of the characters or a funny, you know, situation that happens. It's, mm-hmm. it never takes itself too seriously. Um, which I really love. I, I appreciate that. Should we talk about our scene? What scene are we going to talk about here? We are talking yeah. about one of my favorite, my probably my favorite scene. You know, I could have made, I could have made this scene like 20 <laughs> minutes long if I'd wanted to. Yeah, you could have. Uh-huh. I had to, I had to cut things off uh, eventually, but we're going to be talking about the kind of showdown that happens between the are all of our characters in this town at Chang's market um, and culminates with a second showdown between um, Heather and Bert in their underground bunker as they shoot the shit out of one of the graboids. <laughs> and this that's uh that's the technical term. That's the technical term. They shoot the shit out of they it. They shoot the shit out of a tremor. Um, <laughs> this scene is going to start at uh, 52 minutes and 10 seconds and go until one hour, one minute and 35 seconds. So almost a 10 minute scene here, but I promise yeah. you folks, it's going to be worth it. <laughs> it's a good. <laughs> well, it's like you said, it's, it's just nonstop action. There's not like a lot of, let's just sit down and breathe and like, talk about what we did and maybe replenish our fuel cells. It's just go, 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 go. This is when the movie kicks into high gear, mm-hmm. right? This is, this is when everyone starts to understand what problem they have. And then it becomes the issue of solving that problem. Um, yes. And well, I'll talk more about that. Cause I think it's a really important part of the scene in this movie, but um, should we get into part one of our scene? Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Um, oh, do we talk about what's at stake? What's at stake? Oh, what's at stake? What's at stake? The stakes that uh, I could think of is that um, especially during the second part of the scene, we're, we're really going to have to find out if humans can do any damage, um, if they can stop any of these graboids somehow. I mean, spoiler alert, we find out that very question and that very answer in the second part. But uh, up to this point, they're just constantly being attacked by the the graboids. And some people, like the construction workers, have been killed at this point. So can, can they be stopped? Or is this just forever like an army of the undead? You need to always just be running from yeah that's, question mark yeah <laughs> question mark <laughs> that's a that's a good point like up until this this point in the movie it uh feels like these beasts are somewhat unstoppable i mean early in the film we see one of them die but it's like almost by chance like it just happens to run into like an irrigation uh what would you call it just like an irrigation channel yeah, irrigation channel, yeah. the LA River, basically. Right, right, and it and it just happens to run into like this big, you know, chunk of cement that's in the ground, and so it dies instantly. Um, but that was somewhat by chance; they didn't really, oh, yeah. try to do that. So this time, everything's on the line. the The monsters know where they are. Uh, our characters know where the monsters are. Everyone knows what they're trying to do to each other. These are gigantic beasts that live underground. How the hell are you supposed to defeat these, these monsters? So you're absolutely right. I think that is what at stake. Like, can they a get away? Could they kill these monsters? The monsters seem to be smart. They're like learning and problem solving. And uh, this poses a, a, a big dilemma for our, for our peeps. 
Yeah, this is this is uh, this is things coming to a head, like literally face to face. Yeah. All right. Well, let's jump in. Uh, we're gonna break this uh, long scene down into two parts. This is gonna be part yeah. one. This is gonna run from uh, fifty-two minutes and ten seconds till fifty-five minutes and fifty-three seconds. We begin by seeing Rhonda's injured legs being treated by a kind, sweet Val. We cut to an on-looking, leaning, leering Earl who is approvingly smoking a cigarette. Miguel gives Rhonda some pants and shoes as the perfection citizens in Walter Chang's market whisper about plans. Walter suggests that Val and Earl should walk to Bixby for help, but Val explains that the Graboids ate the truck. Rhonda suggests her truck, but Earl and Miguel poo-poo that idea right as the market's icebox kicks into a loud hissing fit. Val, Earl, and Walter try to quiet the icebox, but just as Val unplugs the machine, the Graboid bursts out of the floor and grabs Walter, who named the Graboids earlier in the movie. The others try to save Walter, but he is pulled, screaming under the market's floorboards. The Graboid then pops up behind the counter, and the four remaining people, Earl, Val, Rhonda, and Miguel, climb for high ground. The dudes escape to the roof, but Rhonda is knocked out of the window by cascading shelves. On the roof, Val fears that Rhonda has been grabbed, but he quickly sees that she has climbed onto the adjacent water tower. Melvin calls to the roof dudes from the nearby shanty, and Miguel whisper yells for Melvin to climb onto the roof. Val then yells to Nancy and Nestor to climb onto their respective roofs. End of part one. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Poor Chang. Oh, poor, poor, yeah, poor Egg Shen. Just like Egg Shen. Like if there's like if there's any kind of death that's maybe more or less pointless in the movie. I mean, honestly, like watching this movie, we talked about the characters earlier. Like all, almost all the deaths to me just seem like you're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's not like following your horror logic of yeah. uh, this character did something wrong or they're, oh, they're sinful or they're having premarital sex or <laughs> smoking, smoking the drugs. No, it's just, just a guy whose who's Pepsi Cola machine came on. And, yeah. Yeah. It's just that ends up killing him. Like there's nothing he did wrong. Uh, it's yeah, it's, out of all the other deaths in the movie, I think it's the one that really hits me the hardest. Cause like Nestor later on, I don't really care about him. Right. Um, he just seems kind of like a weaselly dude, but like, but Walter, Walter is like, he's, he's like an anchor of the community. He's the heart the of the town. Thing. He's the heart of the town. Like the coldest beer anywhere <laughs> or whatever that is. He's doing everything. He's he's providing commerce for the city. Yeah. Oh, poor Walter Chang. And it happens so quick. It's like in one moment, that thing bursts up through the ground. And in the next moment, <laughs> Chang's like in its mouth, shaking back and forth. Oh, oh. my God. And he's like, Ugh. that whole sequence, though, is pretty fucking great. Like the way that the monster shakes him back and forth and – how like every time the camera cuts back, he's a little bit deeper into the graboid. It's really good. Like uh, as far as like a monster death goes, it's it's up there. It's a good one. Yeah, it's it's good, and you just feel it because um, you're seeing all the whatever. <laughs> I want to say the mouth parts. You're seeing all the mouth parts yeah. of the graboid really. Uh, get some action, get some play. You see not only the tentacles with like. Good God, like little 
mouths on the on their own like that's terrifying i just add mouths to mouths to uh, mouth. appendages yeah it's mouths very, to very mouths. alien-esque right yeah like like even more so where like the alien only had the one this one has three and they're like snakes they can stretch out really far yeah that, not only that but it has like like i think the grossest part as gross it is as it is uh, i think that's always made these grab boys in this movie, the grossest to me is like when it opens its mouth and the roof of its mouth has like these little either hairs or spines. Yes. It's kind of like if you have that, what is, I think it's called tryptophobia. It's like that uh, fear of holes or like right. disgust of yeah. holes. Like you would not you like just, that. Yeah. I don't like it. And it's something that stands out to me as someone, I think I have mild tryptophobia. Mm-hmm. So when I see something like that, it's like the grossest part. It's like the tentacles eating Victor. Okay. I could kind of, I could kind of see that. Um, but those little hairs or notches in the roof of the mouth are just, oh, they're the grossest. Yeah, it's gross. And you get a bunch of that later on when they start shooting at him. Um, is this the first time in the movie that we really see one of the Graboids like open up their large mouth? Uh, uh, I, know I think th- so, because other people just kind of are sucked under the ground, I think. Yeah, and I know like when the, the first one like smashes into that irrigation canal – we kind of see it when they pull back the the cement. We sort of see like it's, you know, face, I guess, or front. But this is the first time I think that we actually see one alive, like opening up its mouth and like see how big it is and powerful it is. And mm-hmm. it's kind of shocking when it happens, you know. Poor Chang. Right. Poor Chang. Yeah. Poor Egg Shen. Like I said, all he did was have an ice box or a Pepsi Cola machine. <laughs> it's, it's just so crazy. Cause it's, it's, I think out of, you know, out of all the deaths, it's also like the most unexpected. Yeah. It had, like I said, it's it like all really the other bad. deaths, you kind of have those pre shocks or what have you. Yeah. Um, but this one just seems like you're, I, there's no way I'm expecting that. I feel like, Oh, they're setting up shop in the shop and they're like, they're fortifying and all of a sudden this thing goes off. Okay. They're, they're quieting down. And all of a sudden it's not like there's a rumble, 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 boom. It's just like, it just comes boom out of the ground. Yeah. Yeah, It just comes up. You know, on that note, like I think that the idea of the graboids being attracted to sound or vibrations um, is a really great plot device. Yeah. This movie. It's, it's sort of like the original, a quiet place, you know, um, yes, yes, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking a quiet place when I was watching this. Yeah. Like you're not supposed to run, you're supposed to stay still. You can't make a noise, you can't make vibrations. Right. I, I think uh, a quiet place doesn't exist without tremors. I'm saying it now, right here on the podcast. <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> but it it provides like an element of chaos in the story, right? I mean, with that the uh you know the the soda machine just going off randomly like they can't control that from happening and it it upends their entire situation um it makes them escaping from perfection like a puzzle that they have to solve which i think adds a really great element to the movie it's not just outrunning some monster it's outsmarting the monster and i think that makes the movie smart in a way it makes the characters have to work together to figure out like uh, a solution to this unusual problem that they have, you know, and it, it, it sort of invokes the the viewer into saying like, what would I do in this situation? Which is really fun when you're watching the movie. It's like, mm-hmm. what, what would I do next? Or what would be my solution to this 
this problem that they have. Well, on that point, like <laughs> normally in a movie like this, like you you have them put together the plan, but instead, like they don't even finish putting together a plan or like a single idea. Yeah, like they they just you know like like you said in the um, summary that I wrote, they poo poo the idea of. Uh, heading up the canyon to call to Bixby. Um, and they're just kind of like sitting there with no thoughts, no ideas, no problem solving strategies. And all of a sudden, boom, here comes the grab boy. It's like, you're not having time for the plan. It's, yeah. it's realistic in that sense. You're not always going to have that moment to rest and, and have a strategy. No, like you're going to have to make this up on the fly. And, and right. that's how that's just these it. characters have to solve it. They have to person. figure it out as they go along. They can't like formulate a real plan. They have to just kind of figure it out as they go. And they do yeah. that whole thing. It's really great where they're, you know, in your mind, it's like, well, why don't they just drive out of town? Why don't they do this? Why don't they do that? And like, they set it up, you know, before the scene that we're talking about at one point, they're like, they just shut down all those ideas. You know, they're like, the highway's blocked the, you know, there's mountains to the East and blah, blah, blah to the West. Like we are stuck in this Valley. We are a goddamn smorgasbord or whatever he says. <laughs> <laughs> now this Valley is just one long smorgasbord. And, uh, and so they really do a good job of sort of framing their situation as being dire. And, um, you know, eventually they have to get the idea to head to the mountains because it's solid rock, which, which makes sense up the old Jeep trail. And, yeah, and uh, so then now the the whole movie is about them trying to get to that jeep trail, get to the mountains, and so it really sort of like you know they had this puzzle to solve and they chose a solution, and now you're watching our characters try to uh, you know formulate that, uh, put together that solution, and and it's just so fun. It is fun. Um, little fun fact I notice is that when. Uh, Miguel gives Rhonda the pants and the Keds sneakers. Yeah. The, those are the exact same Keds sneakers that uh, Walter is wearing. He is eaten <laughs> by the Grabway. Nice. He wears it's his little, own products. <laughs> he, he wears his own products. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, I just love that little detail. It's the first time I notice it because, you know, it's the first time watching the scene like yeah. piece by piece because I'm seeing behind Walter like all the other stuff. He has like some pipes for sale. Uh, just, I, I love the set design of this this uh this market they have crush orange crush on the counter oh so uh, like many we said good before. products on the shelves yes old school pepsi obviously there they have some really good snap looking snapback hats way before they were popular yes. now they're everywhere <laughs> i have a few myself don't you uh, love it when the, don't you love it when the graboid uh, bites into that can of tomato sauce or whatever it is i love that i love that effect it's almost like it's trying to be intimidating, but it's like, well, that's just tomato sauce. Like <laughs> crushed tomatoes. <laughs> like this is what I'm going to do to you. It's like, pop. what if the grab, why isn't the grab boy just sitting down for a second and eating some of that? Do you think it's just like fresh meat? We haven't really, you and I haven't really talked about graboids mm. at all. Um, yeah. What gosh, there's, there's, there's a lot to talk about. Where do you think they're from? So that's a good question. Boy, we Thanks. could do a whole podcast on, uh, uh, origin uh, theories of graboids because why yes, are they yeah. just showing up now? Where have they been? Where have they been? Like yeah, who made them or yeah. Do they uh, live just out in the desert in an unpopulated area? And if they do, what have they been feeding on? Like, there's not a whole lot of things to eat out in the desert. Right. Uh, Move to where the food is. Right. 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 Uh, you know, there's the, 
the whole common, like, are they from outer space thing, which that doesn't feel right to me. This doesn't feel like an outer space movie. No, not at all. This is very terrestrial. Yeah, yeah. Long answer to your short question is, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think it comes up in ep- in the uh, third movie, mm. uh, Return to Perfection, I believe. I was in the middle of watching uh, the the dead meat episode on that. Oh, um, oh I was going to ask you if you started diving into the sequels, because that's a whole nother conversation just through dead meat. But um, in the third movie, I think they do mention they are somewhat terrestrial prehistoric creatures. And I think Bert is really left down, let down and, and saying that he thought they're aliens. Right. Right. <laughs> I don't know. They don't seem like aliens to me. This seems like, like either something that's always been in the dirt or that maybe they were made. dormant. Like they mutated. Yeah. There you go. Maybe they mutated. Oh, they're dormant. Maybe they were dormant. Okay. I got it. I got it. Yeah. They were, yeah, yeah. they were dormant species from, from many, many, you know, I know where this is going. Millennia ago. They're, yes. they're in the Nevada desert, right? Yes. Yes. So somehow toxic waste, nuclear waste leaked yeah. onto these uh, underground dormant, <laughs> Uh, terrestrial beings and awoken them or perhaps oh. mutated them into the graboids that we see in this movie. I did it. I got it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought for sure you're going to go like solely the nuclear weapon testing. Like, in Oh, the, that's Nevada good too. Desert, but that's good too. You, yeah. you, you mentioned that as like a, as you know, as a hedging your bets thing. Like it could also be, Nuclear waste. We're all about nuclear waste, like in the 80s. It was like Ninja Turtles, yeah. Toxic Avenger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the guy from Robocop who's melted and then run over. <laughs> Good scene, by the way. Very Tremors like. True. Yeah. <laughs> we figured it out, dude. It's 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 either nuclear testing or nuclear waste. We did it. Yeah. It's yeah, <laughs> nuclear worms. Um, I I kind of do want to ask you real quick, have you ever seen any of the uh, sequels to Tremors? No, 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 a no, lot. no. Yeah. No, I, what I, from what I've heard, those Michael Gross is in all of them. He's in all of them. Fred Ward is in the second one with Michael with Gross. With long hair. Yeah, with long hair. Yeah, and, long, flowing Kevin Bacon hair. And then after that, it's just the Michael Gross show. And uh, later on, very much later on, I think in the fifth one, Jamie Kennedy shows up. <laughs> yeah, I think Jamie Kennedy shows up for a couple as... I want to say Bert's son. Does that sound right? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Again, I'm like relying on my now playing retrospective podcast episodes. And those are a few years ago. So Um, can I tell you a short story? Yes. Tremors related. So, um, (laughs) or not, it doesn't have to be related. (laughs) (laughs) This is just a story that popped into my mind. This is is a Tremors adjacent story. So, um, I was in college. This was my, first senior year in college <laughs> and um i was living in uh, a house i guess it was the it was sort of half of a house with with five other guys okay and is this an indian street house uh this house was on north forest street oh, okay yeah uh but anyway so it's uh like a friday or saturday night and this is the dvd slash vhs rental period we're talking like 2001 probably and so mm-hmm. me and one of my roommates are given the task of going to the video store and choosing some movies uh to rent for the weekend because we would often do this right you go on a thursday night or friday night you rent a handful of movies you have them in your house for the weekend you take them back on monday right right so you know we're given this task now 
Me and my friend that went, we both have uh, questionable tastes in movies. <laughs> and uh, we walked around the video store for a very long time. Could not figure out what to rent. And there wasn't very many new releases that looked good to us or we had seen them all already. And we're wandering around and we wander into, I guess it would be the horror section. Maybe it was the action section. And come upon the Tremors movies. And right. at that time, there were four of them. Ooh. Tremors. I don't remember. Like, do they all have subtitles? Like Tremor Two. Yeah, yeah. They all have. They all have subtitles. Yeah. So it was. It was Tremors. Tremors Two. I can't remember the subtitle. Tremors Three. One is the beginning. Hmm. Tremors Three is, is Return like... to Perfection, right? Yes. And then Tremors Four is like, like the Back to the Future Part Three of the series, where they go back to the old west. Yeah, it's the legend begins. That's the legend. that's the prequel. For some reason, why do they do a prequel? I don't know. And and Michael Come Gross on. is still in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's he's Hiram Gomer. <laughs> so go. anyway, long story short, we rent all four Trevor's movies, <laughs> jeez, and bring them back and. Uh, our roommates were disgusted with us. But over the course of the next two days, I watched all four. And, oh boy, diminishing returns, to say the least. They are not good. <laughs> I don't think I've ever watched any of this. I don't think I've watched any of the se- those sequels since that time. They're they're bad. I mean, they're fun in a campy way, I suppose. But they, they, they all suffer from the same problem, which is like a shitty script a whole bunch of really bad CGI. They started bringing in CGI into these movies and boy, it does not hold up there. It is not good. It's like some of the tremors started flying and they call them ass blasters. And oh oh boy, it just kind of goes off the rails in, in not a great way. So I, I love tremors to my grave, but I can't unfortunately recommend the sequels. Just, Oh, that's, that's too bad. That's too yeah, bad. Yeah. Um, so th- the flying ones are called ass blasters. Ass blasters. <laughs> ass, bl- ass to blast. There's like smaller ones. Okay. They're like smaller ones with wings and they like fart out fire and fly. Oh, oh man. Oh. It's just like, I, I don't want to discourage anyone from like, if you want to like, you know, buy a case of beer and invite your friends over and throw on a tremor sequel, like great, like good. Sure. I, I would buy that. Like it, it could be a fun time in that respect. But if you're looking at any sort of like spiritual continuation from the first movie, you're, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Even though Steven, Seth Wilson, the writer for this movie, went on to direct Tremors 2, Aftershocks, and Tremors 4, The Legend Begins, that you're talking about. That's what it was called. Uh, They're just not keeping the the Tremors alive, the Tremors lineage alive. And it goes seven movies. Jesus, yeah. uh, Two is Aftershocks, three is Back to Perfection, four is The Legend Begins, five is Bloodlines. Bloodlines. And then there's Shrieker Island? Well, then there's a cold day in hell where they just drop the number. Yeah. And Shrieker Island is the uh, seventh one. Good Lord. And they've been making these since 1990 up to 2020. So that's... That probably means they're not done. Yeah, no, they, they every every couple of years. I have another friend who also loves Tremors, and whenever one of these are released, he always texts me, "New Tremors <laughs> is on Netflix." I'm like, "Oh, good, okay." Is Jamie Kennedy in this one? <laughs> oh man, I don't think he is. I think he's in five and six. Okay, 
And then he was like, I'm out. <laughs> I think so. Let me let me double check. Starring. No, it's not Jamie Kennedy. It's John Heater. Ooh, Napoleon Dynamite Napoleon himself. Napoleon Dynamite. Yikes. Okay. Yikes. All right. Well, should we get to part two? <laughs> yeah. I mean, anything else you... Uh, I guess we're talking about set design. Anything else you liked on the store shelves? I'm seeing those oh, gross yeah. mother's cookies, you know, the kind of yes, like, you find they have the like frosting and yeah. oh, there's, they're still there. And here they are in 1990. <laughs> it's the same uh, ones. <laughs> oh, I, I, I want to say there's a little call out. There's a little uh, cow skull, which I thought was kind of hmm. cool on the top shelf of this, this market near the year in the desert. So you're buying your necessities like your cocoa butter and your cookies, but yeah. also uh, maybe a cow skull. That is a really fun, fun little part of that of this scene is when the the shelves start falling on each other and you get the classic mm-hmm. like they all fall over like dominoes yes oh i love that i don't know why i like that so much but there's it's you know, fun yeah it's just great it's, it's so tactile and it's like there's always a suspense to those collapsing like in uh like we saw the same thing in goldeneye last yeah, episode where yeah. this time around james bond pushes a series of bookshelves over and it lands on the soldiers. And then we get the great payoff where Rhonda is thrown out of the window, you know, by the lad. Oh, it's, I love that effect. I love that little cause and effect. Here's the cascade of the, uh, the book, the not bookshelves, uh, probably repurposed bookshelves knowing Walter um, it just launches out the window. I think that's, it's so good. While we're talking about Rhonda, I should say real quick that um, I really like uh, the character of Rhonda and I appreciate that she was not made to be like some sort of token, like bimbo female character, you know? No, not Not at all. all. Like, you know, she's like the smartest character in the group, Mm -hmm. even uh, in the moment when she has to take off her pants because the, uh, the graboids are, are scratching at her legs like right immediately in the next scene they they give her clothes to put back on again it's it's not gratuitous you know she's like smart and capable and she's not like you know maybe traditionally attractive um but right. uh she's like smart and cute and um she's the one that's always figuring out the solutions for everything they have to do and i i don't know i i just i appreciate that that they made her not a disposable female character. They made her integral to the plot, which is, you know, that's right. They did take her pants off. They though, did so take always, her pants off. I do find that kind of funny, yeah. like kind of objectifying there. It's, and Earl does too. Earl seems to really enjoy it. <laughs> Earl gets an eyeful. See, I always took that as being Earl is like giving Val the eye. Like, I think you hey. like her. I think you're you're enjoying uh, taking care of this lovely lady. I I never took it sure. to be that he was like leering at her. I always took it to be that he was like knowingly looking at Val that he thinks Val likes her. I don't know. I, sure. I could be wrong, but that's how I always took that that scene. Okay, okay, that's that's fair. Um, I think everybody knows Kevin Bacon. We talked about <laughs> uh, Victor Wong and Big Trouble as Egg Shen. What about Fred Ward? Do you know Fred Ward from anything? I know him from mostly the third Naked Gun movie when he plays Rocco Dillon, the, the bad oh, guy. Oh, that's right. Um, I you know I can't off the top of my head like name a bunch of Fred Ward performances. I always think <laughs> of this movie when I think of him, but he's got you know he's a character actor. He must have. I should look at his IMDb. He must have some other, you know, credits that we might wait. Fred Ward is a Golden Globe winner. Whoa! What are we doing here? Well, he's been around forever. He's yes. what eighty years old almost. Yeah. Um, 
I see Golden Globe Special Ensemble Cast Award Shortcuts, '93 uh, Comedy Drama by Robert oh, Altman. He was in Shortcuts. Yeah, that's an Altman movie. Interesting. Oh, that's one with like a million people you've heard of, like Andy McDowell, exactly. Bruce Davison. Exactly, and it's like three hours long. Yeah, Jack Lemmon. I, I can't say I ever saw that, but I'm sure if I saw it, I'd recognize everybody there. Mm. Yeah, let's. See. I'm looking over his credits. I don't recognize a lot of these movies. He's done a lot of like random TV performances, ER. Oh, I see. Escape from Alcatraz. That was a popular uh, Clint Eastwood movie. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. The Right Stuff, of course. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, my gosh. Playing an astronaut, Gus Grissom. Oh, Chain Reaction, 1996. Remo Williams. He's in Remo? Hmm. Oh, he's in The Player from 1992. That's a good movie. Oh, he is Remo. That's right. He is Remo? I think that was like his, I think that was his big uh, play at an action star slash whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah, spy movie. And you're telling me he's going to get away with it, huh? And we can't stop him? You can stop him, son. It'll be my pleasure. Remo Williams. The adventure begins. It looks as though he's just made a career out of kind of being a that guy, you know, just like a character actor. Definitely a that yeah. guy. Yeah, I'm just looking through it. Just just love when he pops up and stuff, and I can't really name a lot of stuff, kind of like you're doing right. there, um, except for Tremors and Naked Gun 33 to 3rd, <laughs> the final insult, where he plays, plays, he plays a great bad guy. He plays a great uh, Rocco Dillon. Yes, love that's right. Very good. Yeah, awesome cast. Just a bunch of a bunch of character actors like doing what they do best. It's fantastic. He's in True Detective, but I never watched True Detective. Ooh, I wonder what season. It says he played in a couple episodes as someone named Eddie Velcoro. Hmm, I can't remember. Oh, that sounds kind of familiar. That's all right. It's like it sounds like he was in two episodes and then. Man, the first in. season of True Detective is one of my favorite seasons of television of all time it mm. is so good if you've never watched it holy shit like that is that's a season of tv that my wife and i we never go back and rewatch tv shows and we right. have watched the first season of true detective three times wow it is so good it is unbelievably good i wonder if on, it's on hbo max i bet it is max back it's an h it's a- <laughs> <laughs> Try to sneak that one in there. (laughs) I could not do it. HBO Max. Uh, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. And it is fantastic. I mean, just incredibly acted. uh, Woody Harrelson and and, um, uh, why am I drawing? Matthew McConaughey. McConaughey, Yeah, so freaking good. Matthew McConaughey is incredible in it. It is is so good. Highly recommend. Big recommend. Okay. True Detective. Another early recommend. (laughs) Had a schedule. Should we talk about part two of this scene? Because we're really building up to uh, the the titular moment of this scene. <laughs> I'm going to give one more detail about oh Walter. Oh, my God. Please, okay. please, please. Okay. You know that the set does we're, – we're moving away from the set design and uh, from a market to like a gun wall here in a moment. <laughs> it's going to really simplify down here in a second. But one more note is Do I it, think buddy. Walter actually – I think Walter actually cuts hair as well at fifty-two, fifty-eight. I'm looking behind Walter's counter and I see what looks to be like the early kind of chair you would cut hair in, where with the headrest that's way separate, way taller than yeah, the rest of the chair. Yeah, dude, he's a jack of all trades. <laughs> he's a jack of all <laughs> trades, man. It's like, ah, uh, uh, I, I, I don't know if I, yeah, 
you know, I live in a small town now, but it's not so small where everything is in one place. Right. But oh, oh, to live in a place where you just have to go to the one place before 4 p.m. for your oil change, your haircut, and right. <laughs> your orange crush, and your cow skull, Look, and your pipe. Walter Chang is a businessman. He understands yeah. supply and demand. And right. there is a demand for a haircut. There's a demand to get your picture <laughs> taken with a dead graboid. He's gonna he's gonna take those opportunities. He's probably renting, you know, the NES games and you know, nineteen ninety making bank off that. Yeah, he's uh he's probably got a little library of VHS tapes back there that he rents out. <laughs> he probably has the one VCR in town. Right, too. you gotta rent the VCR with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's extra. If you don't rewind, you're getting charged. You're getting charged. Yeah. 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 Easy. Be, so be kind. <laughs> be kind, rewind. Hmm. Okay, are you ready? I think so. Am, am I am I ready? I think so. I think we're ready to ramp it up even more. Let's ramp it up. Yeah. All right, we're going to get to part two here. This is going to go from 50 my 55 minutes and 53 seconds until the end of our scene at 1 hour, 1 minute and 35 seconds. This is part 2. We cut to Bert and Heather Gummer arriving at their concrete compound in a truck with a license plate that says Uzi for you. <laughs> not knowing about all the mayhem happening at Chain's Market, but they muse about how they do not understand this mysterious menace. Heather then looks out at the distant rooftop survivors through her binoculars. We cut to Chain's Market, and Bert's voice calls over the radio. Val grabs the radio through the open window while dancing like 50 Cent, held by the legs of Miguel and Earl. Val explains over the radio that the survivors know what has been killing the people of perfection. Heather turns on the bullet shell cleaning machine, instantly drawing the market graboid towards the Gummer compound. Miguel notices this and Val radios to Bert that he and Heather should get to the roof. Bert and Heather lock and load their rifles and peer out of their concrete basement windows. Bert radios to Val that they don't see anything, and Val frantically explains a few more times that the creatures dig underground. After a tense moment of expectation, a graboid bursts through the basement wall and Bert radio, Jesus Christ! <laughs> and his yell is cut off as we cut back to the market rooftop. Val and company hang their heads until they hear the distant sound of gunfire. We cut back to Bert and Heather unloading their rifles into the graboid. They run out of ammo, and the camera hilariously pans to the left to show a fully stocked wall of guns behind the gummers. Oh man, I could talk about that pan for hours. A tentacle grabs Bert, but Heather destroys the, ten the tentacle with some shotgun blasts. The graboid tears up the rec room a bit, and the couple then grabs some more guns to shoot the graboid. Bert then bursts, or excuse me, breaks the glass in a case to hold a giant gun, which is the Belgian William and Company 8 gauge shotgun, aka the elephant gun, and loads the gun's giant shells as Heather fires a flare gun into the graboid's gaping mouth. Bert then fires the big gun twice into the graboid's gums, finally felling the beast. Bert radios to the rooftop boys that he and Heather has killed the graboid. Val reports to Bert that there are two more mother humpers left. <laughs> and see. Thank you, PG-13, for the humpers. Yeah, no motherfuckers allowed here. <laughs> no, what I read is that they dubbed over all the fucks except for the one where he goes fuck you right, right. they get that's the one <laughs> fuck they left in for the pg-13 fuck you and that's where it runs into the concrete wall right yep that's right 
Oh, that's a good one. I, I always think of yeah him saying that in this move. Well, the original line is that he really did say two more motherfuckers, and they they dubbed it over for the PG thirteen rating. We killed it. You got that? We killed that mother humper. Come back. <laughs> uh, Roger that, Bert, and uh, congratulations. Be advised, however, there are two more. Repeat, two more mother humpers. Yeah, and I think you hear it at the end too, towards the end mm. of the movie somewhere about the. Yeah, I don't think that they say humper at the end. I think they say a different word. But yeah, it's not it's not the F bomb. Hmm. So we finally get um a little window into uh Bert and Heather's compound here. Um mm-hmm. going back to the uh, beginning of the scene, I um you mentioned the Uzi for you. That still makes me laugh every time I see that. <laughs> Uzi for Uzi you. For you. <laughs> <laughs> um I also kind of laugh uh, every time they show Val like hanging upside down to get the CB radio through the window. Yes. I don't know why, but that just always makes me chuckle the way his face is all red and he's hanging upside down. And he's trying to grab it. <laughs> it's I, I love his character in this movie, how he's just like so confident, but also kind of a bumbling his way through this movie. Um, yeah. That's, I, I feel like that just little snippet is just kind of a funny little piece to his character i don't know and and i think that's a big thing that the sequels are lacking is that star power of of this character kevin bacon and it's understandable they can't get him back because he's a big movie star by now um but yeah i think i think it is a big part of it is is having this character who plays so well uh with like you're saying a little bit of the goofy bumbling but also with like a lot of confidence to him. He's not just lost in all these scenes. He's, he's trying his best to figure things out and yeah. Hanging upside down, like 50 cent, like you mentioned in the, in the write up. Yeah. It's, it's go, doing just that. Go, <laughs> go shawty. <laughs> I love that moment, by the way, at the super bowl halftime show, I was like, Oh, this is so cool. Oh man. I don't know why it was so cool, but hanging upside down in the super bowl halftime show is so cool. And it's, yeah. And that's just some like, gymnastic stunt but he's trying to rap at the same time that was a wonderful all of us 40 year old gen xers just lost our minds yeah <laughs> yeah oh it was so it was good great. wasn't it it was, it was great i loved it i loved it so much i made my girl i was like girls come check this out it's snoop dogg and dr dre they were like what <laughs> and eminem and mary j yeah. budge and 50 cent and, and and kendrick lamar yeah, that's it. I was like, who's who's the newest guy who I don't really know? Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar's good. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that. It was it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, it it also it also reminds me of Back to the Future Two, where um, uh, 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 Michael J. Fox's dad. Oh yeah. Or is it Grandpa or whatever? It's Marty McFly's dad in the future, mm-hmm. nineteen eighty. No, not in twenty fifteen. Is hanging upside down. Is doing some kind of like weird stretch or Pilates, yeah. and the whole reason it's they got did like that a levitating is, exercise device or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, and the whole reason they did that and showed his dad like that is because they wouldn't hire Crispin Glover back to do it. I think he was asking too much money, so they really use someone to reappropriate that character, and because of that, uh, that's where like people get into these likeness battles now, like starting back in Back, back to the Future Two. Um, whenever someone's represented on screen, even though they're not the same character, they're still owed this kind of facial likeness uh, licensing money. And that wasn't something that uh, was in play until Back to the Future 2 with Chris McGlover. I thought that was, I remember listening to the uh, Back to the Future Minute to learn that. That's, uh, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. Right up until this moment, 
I never put together that Crispin Glover <laughs> was not in Back to the Future Part 2. <laughs> I can't imagine you <laughs> thinking about it too much. No. But, like... <laughs> but how many times I've seen those movies and I never went like, wait, why isn't Crispin Glover playing the dad? Oh my God, my world has been rocked. <laughs> it's been turned, you might say, upside down. <laughs> very, very good, very good. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, all right. So um, back to uh, Burton Heather Gummer. Right. Uh, two uh, of the most legendary characters in this movie. The build up to the face off that they have with the Graboid here. I, I think I have to say it's it's my favorite part of the movie. Um, and I think it's because of the anticipation. Like mm-hmm. it's as as a viewer, you know what's coming here. And um, you also know that like these two people are armed to the teeth. They've been waiting for world war three their whole lives. And um, in your mind, you're just like, yes, yes, yes. And it's just such a genius uh, script idea to have these two characters who are like doomsday preppers who've been preparing their whole lives to defend themselves from the apocalypse only to end up having to <laughs> having that preparation, having that preparation be utilized, not for world war three, but, for like underground death monsters, <laughs> like yeah, it's great like setup and payoff for these two characters. It's so much fun, and when they do that pan, when you see them start firing on the graboid after it breaks through the wall, and the camera pans back and you see their wall. It's like a like a two like a pegboard that you would have in your garage with your tools. <laughs> But instead of tools, it's covered with like every kind of firearm imaginable. It's such a great visual gag. And it makes me chuckle every single time. I love it so much. (laughs) Oh, it it is so wonderful. It reminds me of how you'd film a scene in Naked Gun. uh, Yes, it's like like, it's ridiculous. Like it's absurd. (laughs) Yeah, because they, they they back up from the vibrations, they back up a little more, the tools all fall off the pegboard, like you're saying, yeah. and then uh, they back up just a little more as uh, the graboid bursts to the wall. Well, not a little more, it's, they back up quite a bit more right into that wall, which right takes a second to, um, to collapse. Yeah, yeah, and, and then right, it takes a second to show that actual wall of guns behind them like you don't you don't hear it and you don't see it until after the rooftop boys val miguel and earl hear the far off gunshots a la like waco texas you know that's what i think of when i hear like the little when i see the compound in the distance and you hear like the like the snap of gunshots i think that's really really solid sound design really is yeah uh, because that's that's what you'd be hearing far away um and you wouldn't hear like voices or roars you'd hear those really loud snapped with the with the echo gunshots. too right like oh the, the, so the good it, it works so well in a desert setting too mm-hmm. it's kind of it kind of like really paints this picture of a bleakness because you don't know what's going on at this moment you're in the same shoes as the guys on the roof like i would we don't know what's going on. We don't know if they're just taking over. His voice is cut off. Jesus crack. Yeah. You know, on the radio. And you get that swelling sense like in yourself when you're watching, and you're like, Oh yes, they are shooting their guns. And it's like you, <laughs> when they lift their heads after putting their heads down, thinking that they're doomed, when they hear that gunfire, 
you're like, oh shit, yes, they are going <laughs> after it. And yeah, and then the payoff is so fantastic. Like it is nonstop wall to wall gunfire for like the next two minutes of this movie. <laughs> it is pretty good. What, once you posted the time code for this, and I was watching this uh, the scene, I, I knew exactly. <laughs> you knew I was gonna. What end. moment made this? And it was that pan back to the gun rack and. Um, yeah, not only the pan back, but like as soon as it pans back, it's like they have a routine down. They have like they're blocking, like they've they've prepared for right. this in, in the most extreme way. And Heather slash Reba goes around Michael Gross as he turns and grabs a certain rifle. They probably you know they they have their favorite handguns. I'm sure they have their favorite um, semi-automatics or assault rifles and shotguns. It's so well blocked and edited. Like, they show one character firing a weapon, and then it will cut back to the Graboid getting shot and recoiling, and then it will cut back to the next character, to, uh, you know, Reba or or uh, Bert, and, uh, and he's firing a weapon, and then it cuts back to the Graboid recoiling again, and then it will cut back to the other character, and they have a new weapon in their hand that they're firing, and, like... Mm-hmm. I love that sequence where when they run out of ammo, they don't they don't <laughs> reload. They throw the weapon on the ground and they grab a new one. <laughs> yep, yep. It's so good. So should we go through the different weapons they use here? Because it's fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just, I don't know where I found this. I think it was probably IMDB. If you go to IMDB, FDB, that's the Internet Movie Firearms Database. Mm. Like they just run down everything on the wall, and that's oh wow, that's too much that's for too me. Much. I don't, I don't yeah. need that. But I mean, this is to me watching this is reminiscent of the the Predator scene where yeah. Mac picks up the uh, the old painless, and everybody else joins in with you know, Dutch and Hawkins and Billy and Dylan, 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 Dylan. Uh, Dylan. Yeah, am I missing something? Oh, and Ponchito, of mm-hmm. course. And they're all firing their specialty gun, their secondary guns, their grenades, their bullets. Uh, in Ponchito's case, the the modified <laughs> grenade launcher uh, after the Predator. That, that's what this reminds me of. And and we have some sweet, sweet justice, of course, with those guns actually being effective in this scene. But yeah, if you, if you want to tell me some of the guns going yeah, on well i mean i don't know i mean i'm not a gun guy i don't know like specific makes and models but I, it's just no, like it it's so much fun how every time they cut to you know either uh bert or heather they have a new weapon and they they you know cycle through like assault rifles there's shotguns at one point it cuts back to reba and she's got two pistols one in each hand and she's firing them like alternately and it's just badass. <laughs> oh yeah. And and then you get a flare gun in there. <laughs> like just fire a flare <laughs> into its mouth. That'll fuck it up. And then of course the uh the coup de gras, the climax, is when he grabs that monster. Is that a massive shotgun? Is that what that is? They call it the elephant. It is a it's it's, it's an eight gun, or it's an eight gauge shotgun and all i know about gauges is that the lower the gauge number like the bigger it right. is i can't remember what the whole do, do you know what what is the what does that mean if it's like eight gauge it's only like eight millimeters or something like that from a centimeter or 10 centimeters I'm i'm sure. totally throwing off all the 
people who know about this thing. But I, I remember learning about like when people have like the hoops put in their ears to make their ears like the earlobes bigger and bigger. That like the, the gauges, the gauge yeah, number, yeah. The bigger it is, that's what that's what I always think back to is is that. So this eight gauge is going to be a whole lot bigger than like a sixteen gauge, a twelve gauge, right. a ten. Gauge I always think of like a twelve shotgun. gauge shotgun, right? Is what is like the phrase you always hear. But I love how that, yeah. that final shotgun, the elephant gun, as they call it, is like behind glass, right? Like yes. all these other guns are just sitting on hooks on the pegboard, but this gun is behind glass and he doesn't open the glass. He breaks that shit and pulls out the uh, the elephant gun. And then we get yes. the gratuitous shot of the ammo being thrown down onto the like the workbench. And it's just right. these massive, massive charges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if you didn't know this was a big gun just by looking at the barrel of the right. gun, you know it's huge looking at these shells where they're just like the size of your yeah, They're wrist. like sausages, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to fire it into yeah, a, a nuclear incited worm. He's like, he's oh. uh, struggling physically to handle this gun, <laughs> right? Like yeah. even the act of him like loading it and, and cocking it back together or clamping it back together, like takes physical exertion from him. And then Mm -hmm. I love the detail of when he fires it, we get a, a, it cuts out to a wider shot and there's Reba Heather, like covering her ears. Right. Cause this gun is so massive. She has to cover her ears because the blast is so, uh, so impactful that uh, she Mm -hmm. can't just sit by idly. She's got to protect her earlobes. (laughs) <laughs> i noticed that too it's a yeah, good good little effect there i mean they'd be deaf uh minute yeah. two or second two into this <laughs> assault with all the gunfire bouncing off of the um the concrete walls but it, it's a nice little effect to really show that this is the big gun this is the bfg this is old painless in the in the modern times yeah, i guess yeah. So on the other yeah. side of things, um, this is really a, uh, a showcase for some practical effects here. Yes. Uh, the, uh, the, the graboid coming through the wall and how it, it undulates and moves around and recoils from gunshots. And like you were mentioning earlier, we get a lot of shots of the graboid with its mouth open and we can see all the disgusting, gross details of inside its mouth. And you're right. Those like, I don't know what you call them. Like those little, I don't know, like little. Are you talking about like the lower hooks? Yeah. And, and also like between the gunshots, like poke, like bursting holes into the graboids gums and mouth yes. along with the little like fingery things, like little black fingery things that poke out all over the place. Like it is gross <laughs> like yeah but man how effective is that effects work like it is really magnificent it's a sight to, to see it's great i think you only see the one rear projection shot where yeah. he's where bert is firing assault rifle right into it where you have to have him next to it to show the size comparison but i don't think they really do the size comparison because you don't really need it you don't need the size comparison to be reminded how big it is because we've seen underground we've seen it eat walter just a minute ago. Yeah. Um, but if I remember correctly, this is all hand puppetry. Mm. Anytime it's showing the close up of it taking damage and breaking the roof of the concrete bunker. This is, this is all hand puppetry. This is it. Just, you know, someone with it at the end of his arm going up and down and hitting things and 
taking flares to the mouth. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, that that rear projection scene you mentioned is the only shot of probably this whole movie that that kind of pulls me out of it a little bit because it's it's sure. you know it's such a very 1990s shot and in hindsight you know you wish they could have done that one a little bit better um but everything everything else is done pretty much perfectly uh in that scene yeah yeah it's it's a little bit of that uh creature feature we're talking about like you need to at least one hallmark of like old school creature (laughs) feature and that's like i'm firing at this thing that's just clearly on the screen Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah but it, it is super effective great effects work here great uh, great lighting as uh, the beast is, I don't know what it's hitting the roof for so much, but it is, um, I don't know, it's, it's going up towards the windows a little bit, like the windows shine the light. And so we're seeing the light hit it and we know it's not CGI. Um, yeah. It just doesn't seem as dangerous as it is in the beginning when it first encounters them, where it grabs Bert by the leg and pulls it. Because from the time they, from the time that Heather, blows off a tentacle with a shotgun. Like they don't seem like in there any danger. And in fact, they just totally warded off with bullets. And maybe that's the whole point of this is to show that these things can be killed. They're just, they're just creatures. They can be killed with bullets. Like most of other creatures out there. I guess we found out his weakness. Bullets. It's fun to see this whole scene play out. And then, I mean, not to go too far past the scene, but in the, you know, right after this, they, they move to their roof and they attempt to kill the other graboids by trying to fire the same weapons, but through the dirt and they can't. And so, right. and so they realize in that moment that, yeah, they got one and that's good, but they're not going to have a chance like that again. And so, it, it, you know, they set this up as a moment of victory, but very, very quickly, it's also set up that that's not going to happen again, and they're going to have to find some other solution for these other two monsters. Be advised, however, there are two more, repeat, two more mother humpers. Yeah, that's that's a great transition, like you're saying later on. He fires into the ground, and he's like, can't shoot through the ground, or he makes a mention of it. planned on firing through dirt, I think is what he says. Yeah, Yeah, and like instantly they're doing the the quick writing of telling us, this isn't going to work anymore. The guns are a one-time thing where you're face-to-face, and it's really rare they're going to be face-to-face. I do love how after this part, they're up on their roof, and they're just right back into their like doomsday prepper mode, and they're like sawing off PVC pipes and making (laughs) making bombs. Yes. And I love, I love the line. It might be my, one of my favorite lines in the movie when he's like, what'd you put in there, Bert? He's like, couple household chemicals in the right proportion. What the hell's in those things, Bert? Two household chemicals in the proper proportion. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all the yeah. explanation we need. <laughs> yep. I'd rather not know. I'm, right. I'm good. Yeah, it's, it's perfect how it is. <laughs> Have you ever made something like that? Have you ever tried to like, I mean, it's like terrorist sound and stuff, but like as a kid, were you ever like taping together your fireworks or anything like oh, that? Oh yeah. Oh, I got a, actually yeah. a decent, well, it's not an exciting <laughs> story, but it's, it's my attempt at making a, a bomb like that is I, <laughs> Oh my God. Um, some, some friends and I, I feel like we maybe talked about this on the predator podcast. Um, I'm sure we but, did. Uh, one fourth of July, this is when I was like 15 years old or something. We, had gone to the Indian reservation and bought a whole shitload of, of fireworks. You, you know what a piccolo peat is? It's like a, uh, is that a whistle? Yeah, one? exactly. Yeah. It's like a little column on a stand 
and it doesn't really do much. All you do is light it and it flares and then like makes this really high pitched like scream for, you know, five seconds and then it's done. But right. they're really easy to break open and there's a bunch of powder inside. And so we were like, oh, let's do something with this powder. So we took like a, sh- a shitload of piccolo peats and we all tore them open. And then we took a tennis ball and cut a hole in the side of a tennis ball and poured all the powder from like eight piccolo peats into this tennis ball and then grabbed one of the wicks from one of the piccolo peaks and like shoved it in there and like duct taped it back up. <laughs> we're like, we just made oh, a man. bomb. So we're like, what should we do with it? So we did what every 15 year old kid would do. We put it in a stump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. We stuck it on a stump and uh, we lit it and we ran and hid on the deck. And uh, it was not as exciting as we were hoping. <laughs> it was a little bit of a, a burst and that was it. So that was our only, that's my only attempt at making a household uh, bomb was by dissecting some piccolo peats. <laughs> piccolo peats. Did you ever uh, try to tape peats. some uh, fireworks together? You know, I don't think we did, but growing up in Tennessee, they're uh, a little bit more loose with like fireworks laws or yeah. uh, any kind of laws having to do with weapons or explosives. Um, so I do, I do remember lots of little stories of playing with what are called M1000s, oh, which yeah. you would think, oh, it's like 10 times the power of an M80. It's not. It's no. like it's like the gauge thing. It's like the higher the number, like the less uh, explosive it is. But at the same time, pretty darn explosive little deals, probably the size of like a half of a AA battery. If you cut one of those in half, sure. have, well, no, or a full one or whatever. But like, man, that was our main mode of play in the summers around <laughs> July for sure. It was like... I'm going to stick this in an anthill, blow up an anthill, yeah. I'm going to tape it to a G.I. Joe, blow up a G.I. Joe. I think the worst thing we did was put it in a glass bottle, light it, and throw it into a pond. Oh, there you so go. So it blew up. It just become a bunch of stupid glass particles. Like, what were we thinking? <laughs> like, that's terrible. Like, don't do that. What are you, you idiot? When I was in college, but, I had a friend that had, like, what he claimed was, like, the equivalent of a half stick of dynamite. Right. You know, and... uh I went to his family had a house on a lake and they would do fireworks out there every 4th of July because there was no regulations out there. <laughs> right. And uh, he built a little like like little makeshift wooden raft that had like one of those little rudders on it that you could like wind up a rubber band and then let it go and it would make the little rudder go. And so we stuck the what he claimed was half stick of dynamite onto it. And uh, set it out into the lake and uh, let the little rubber band go and let it run out there. And it was a pretty good boom. It would uh, blew that little boat to shit and uh, <laughs> probably scared all the neighbors. <laughs> oh, it was man. really smart. We probably only had like 18 beers before we did it. So. <laughs> You weren't even prepping for doomsday. It was just, you're just bored. Yeah, we're just bored. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. No, I I hope I'm never in a situation where I'm hastily putting together some pipe bombs. (laughs) (laughs) But between this and Terminator 2, I guess, didn't they make pipe bombs there too? Yeah, yeah, they did. And they're throwing them at the T-1000 who's chasing them. Do I have that right? Or am I thinking Um, of Terminator 1? Terminator 2, like... 
he builds the he has like the explosive like Miles Dyson is holding the explosive in his hand while he's dying, right? Well, yeah, but I mean those are just like those are like real bombs, right? Those are like C4. I feel like there's a scene in Terminator 2 when maybe they're making bombs in the desert when she goes No, no, okay, okay. I think it's Terminator 1. Okay. And I think it's Kyle Reese making the bombs and they're totally throwing the bombs at the Terminator. In its skeleton oh. form. Does that sound familiar? At one point, they throw a bomb and it blows Reese down the stairs. Oh, okay. I think, I think I'm. I, I think I think that's more Reese's kind of bag is having to like jimmy together all this sure uh, this weaponry because he's like a future soldier who's having to uh, make his way in the the, the modern yeah, times. I guess. Yeah. All right. All right. I can buy it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's been bomb time. Well, yeah. <laughs> There's your bomb minute. <laughs> Uh, yeah, bomb minute. Um, all right. Well, uh, we kind of went through part two there. Did you have any other notes uh, on the second half of this scene? Gosh, I don't think so. Kinda hit everything I think, there. I think. I think we hit everything. Man, what um, a great scene! What a great movie! Just loved it. Yeah, I love Michael Gross in this role. I don't know him from Family Ties, but he right. was the the dad he in Family dad, Times. Yeah. Family ties, uh, and then, then then he's been making this for way longer than he made Family Ties. He made Family Ties for seven years. And he's going on twenty years of Tremors movies. Yeah, Tremors is his legacy. That's wild. That's a, that's that's his legacy. Mm. But he's he just so, totally sells the crap out of the survivalist person who's uh, similar to the other characters. He's not a simpleton. He's not dumb. He's not like radically. Uh, on the right side of the the spectrum, oh, he's got an Atlanta Hawks hat. Anti that. <laughs> that, that's what I partly. That's what I partly remember. But I think that's what I mostly remembered his character from when I first watched it. I was like another Atlanta Hawks fan. Like you never hear about us. <laughs> like I thought I was the only one. And here's Bert Gummer, I guess in uh, Perfection Nevada, wearing an Atlanta Hawks hat. Such a, and he wears it, I think, throughout all the different. Uh, movies. It's so funny. It's such a funny little detail, and it's never explained that I know of uh, why nope. he's a Hawks fan, but. I love that little detail. <laughs> <laughs> like I think he's wearing, yeah, he's wearing on the roof the very next scene. Yeah, yeah, he's got it the whole movie. It's, yeah, it's it's a nice looking hat. Although I mean, you're survivalist in the desert. That thing's going to be dirty wearing a tan thing like that. But you know what? It's like if you're going to wear tan anywhere, wear it in the yeah, desert. You know, it's it's his hat. It's his everyday hat. It's his. Yeah, it's his. It's his everyday. Yeah. Hat. It's his, <laughs> yeah. Good stuff done. Well. um, now, this movie is from 1990. Yes, our, our second 1990 I was going to say, so we talked about 1990 movies when we did Total Recall. Two weeks! Of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but this uh, is also a 1990 movie. So we don't have to spend too much time on the uh, top 10 movies of 1990. But uh, this did not make the top 10, unfortunately. <laughs> I don't know what place this is. This made $16 million and the top 10 movies all made... 200 million and above. Yeah, yeah. But this movie really gained traction, I feel like, over the decade of the 90s. Like, the, uh, I mean, do you feel that way? Like, this is kind of a beloved movie? Is it? Is it just me that is uh, that loves this movie? Or Oh, it's it's absolutely a beloved, let's clarify, VHS yeah. uh, classic. Sure. Uh, you look at the cover, and it's Jaws, but tremors instead of jaws hey you know what's about the cover is that this thing is full of teeth and in the movie grab boys don't really have have teeth i know the cover it's almost like they came up with the cover before the movie was made or something 
I, yeah, I feel on the poster it wouldn't be as effective to have tentacles coming out of the mouth because it would look like it's barfing. But right. in the movie, in the movie itself, I don't think it would look as good with them having a bunch of teeth. Yeah, no, it does not have teeth. Like in the movie, in the poster, you're right. It looks like it looks like more of a Jaws situation, and that's that's not what we get in the film. Yeah, interesting. No. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. This is uh, this is one that has gotten better over time, like a fine wine. Um, mm-hmm. I have to, uh, admit, uh, and I know I say this for like every other movie we do, but I did uh, pick this one up on 4k and, uh, the 4k transfer of tremors is absolutely fantastic. So if you are a fan of this movie and you collect 4k blu-rays, this is a must grab, uh, must graboid, if you will. Oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just a couple episodes we were talking about Total Recall from 1990. Yeah, yeah. Two weeks! Was your last pick Total Recall? Two weeks! Um, yeah, I think so. Two weeks! I do, I do, I do believe it was. I believe it was, yeah, Total it's Recall was your last pick right here, yeah. Two weeks! You're on a real 90. It's, it's a good year. You Fantastic. have uh, Ghost, you have Home Alone, which is a big christmas classic for a lot of people pretty women uh dances with wolves total recall like we just said before two weeks back to the future part three oh. die hard two uh presumed innocent i can't <laughs> say i saw that one is that an erotic thriller That's an erotic thriller my friend yeah uh, watch that on the old skinamax then yeah, i guess i'm gonna stay up until 1 a.m and watch that shit <laughs> ninja turtles which is probably the theater going experience of the night of 1990 for me for mm. sure like being growing up such a huge ninja turtle fan and then kind of being almost out of that age by the time the movie rolls around but like still being so pumped to right see it. right <laughs> uh kindergarten cop of course the other schwarzenegger movie in the top 10 yeah. of this year yeah. wow go schwarzenegger big year and then and then a bunch of like the kind of uh, different sequels like Predator 2, Robocop 2, Gremlins 2, mm. may- maybe some other ones that stand out to you, but those are like the ones. I, I feel like we've talked ad-, ad nauseum about those. In yeah, we, we went through these pretty uh, extensively on uh, Total Recall. So, you know, jump back to that episode if you want to hear us. Uh, Two weeks. But it's just a great year for movies. Um, it's one of the rare years where a lot of the sequels that came out are actually good. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the other sequels you met, didn't mention, like Child's Play 2, um, another 48 Hours is eh, it's all right. But, um, you know, Young Guns 2, we got Exorcist 3, um, mm-hmm. Godfather 3. So there's there's some stuff there to watch uh, if you like the sequels, for sure. Plus, a, a, just mm-hmm. a bunch of other great kind of cult classics uh, from the early 90s came out uh, in this year. So good year for movies, for sure. Yeah. 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 1990. All right. Well, uh, I think we're getting to it here. Uh, should we do, oh, our always reoccurring segment? Is it better than Predator? Oh, man. This is going to be a tough one. I need a moment to think about this, John. What do you, where do you fall? Is this better than Predator? Uh, I think it does a lot of what Predator does so well, where it has, uh, for me, number one, has to be likable characters. I have to like the characters yeah. to actually enjoy the movies. If I don't like the characters in the movie, I just don't care what happens to them. And there's no stakes. I don't just like, blah, whatever, who cares? Um, yeah. Or if the characters have aged poorly over the years, right. again, it's another one where 
just just can't really meet it where it wants me to, or I can't root for the character it wants me to root for. But these are characters I really enjoy through the movie. I'm sure if this is one that I watched as much as I watched Predator or as much as I, you know, talked about, like I talked about Predator with my brothers growing up, it'd probably be up there and I, it would probably be contending really well with Predator. Um, but both of them on the table, I'm going to give the nod to Predator. But at the same time, this is a, like I said, a movie that goes down smooth. It's, I think 95 minutes, including the credits oh, yeah. at the it's end. Just a, it's just a nice, like, cold shot of a movie. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a happier ending than Predator. Yeah, true. <laughs> uh, whereas Predator is more of, like, of the serious take on the creature feature. And the creature, by and large, wins in that movie. Like, the creatures here don't win. It, they, they take a few of the people out, but ultimately the people wipe all the creatures out yeah. in just great, disgusting, bloody, different ways. Uh, and it's an enjoyable romp. I, I, I think if you want to leave a creature happy, watch this. If you want a, a little more serious take, watch Predator. Yeah, good take. I, I, I'll buy yeah. all that. Uh, that's, me, that's me hedging my bets sure. is, is what that is. <laughs> <laughs> I can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. You really can't. Uh, I. Um, this is another one that is – Part of my choice is probably due to my personal connection to it, my nostalgia to it, the amount of times that I've watched it, and um, just my. It's if, if I was to make a list of the movies that kind of mean the most to me in terms of like shaping my my love of movies over the year, this is up there. This is um, this is you know like a a horror movie for people that don't want super scary horror. You know, it's a gateway horror, if you will, if you're a kid. Mm -hmm. And um, I have a lot of good memories watching this movie with my family, with my dad, especially. We all know that I love Predator, but I think I'm giving it to Tremors here today. You heard it here first, folks. Um, Oh my gosh. I'm going to go with Tremors. It's a tough. It's a tough one. It pains me to say that, but uh, I have to go with my heart, and my heart says tremors. I love this movie. I can't. I uh, can't deny it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, well explained. Well justified, mm-hmm. as you do. So yeah, sounds like a yeah a good solid movie you chose here. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for talking about it with me. This is a, a like I said, near and dear to my heart, and a, a fun one for me to discuss. So. Um, yeah, thanks buddy. I appreciate it. Yeah. If, if I think if, and I think like the ultimate for me is like, would I listen to a movies by minute about some of the movies that we've watched mm. that haven't already been movies by minutes, like we did with predator, uh, Jurassic park has already done, has been done as a movies by minute, but I think total recall is one that either has not, or there's one in German, but that's totally mm-hmm. one that would be justified by a movies by minute two weeks and i think this would totally be a good movies by minute like you're in and out in 90 ish minutes 90 ish episodes and there's always something to talk about in terms of the characters in terms of sequels in terms of the graboid lore uh maybe some paraphernalia having to do with uh the the movies like Gosh, I think uh, the guy who is hosting Dead Meat in James's place right now, Zoran, has a has a, a nice I love Bixby shirt. And every time they bring up Bixby, he goes, Bixby! That's awesome. <laughs> so good. Bixby! 
Definitely worth checking that out. And he's wearing all sorts of merchandise. He's like, he has like the Changs yes. market shirt. I'm like, oh, I need that oh, shirt. Oh, man, that shirt I need that awesome. shirt. Oh, my God, that's amazing. <laughs> I love these shirts where it's just like, you're not going to understand the reference if you're not. Yeah, I love <laughs> those kind of shirts, specific... dude. I want a Changs. Yes. I want a Walter Changs market shirt. Holy shit. Coldest beer in town. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. yeah. This would make a good movie or uh, movie by minute uh, movie. Like it, they were, you're right. There would be a lot to talk about in every section. Hmm, that'd mm-hmm. be a fun one. Um, all right. Fun. Well, we've settled that debate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> settled. Sort of. Yeah. 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 Uh, recommends. Uh, do you want to go first on recommends? What do you, uh, what are you seeing here? I can go if you want. What, what are we doing? Um, I'll go ahead and just stick with me going first for now. Uh, I am recommending a computer game called No Man's Sky. Ooh. It's a computer game that's just totally open world. That's the wrong word. Uh, it's open universe, open galaxy, mm. where you're putting together spaceships, you're flying around different planets, building bases, trading supplies, uh, putting together weapons, upgrading your ship. It's, it's an awesome open world game. Um, it's kind of like putting Breath of the Wild in space oh. and taking out all the story. And it's just like, well, there's a little bit of like a story thread to follow if I want, but really I just want to go over there to that, uh, that planet or go check out that space station or take on these, um, whatever, this fleet of destroyers. It's, it's just a fun little space exploration game. And it just is as deep as you want to make it, or it's just as streamlined as you want to make it if you want to stick to the story. But that's uh, No Man's Sky. I've been playing that a lot on the PC. Ah, cool. Nice, yeah. nice. Have, have you heard of that computer it game? It sounds familiar to me. Is it also available on console? Is it? It is on consoles, but I mean, honestly, I couldn't imagine this one going to consoles hmm. very... I, I, I guess I could in that it's like, as long as you have a console that's, uh, gosh, has enough memory and it has, you yeah. know, you can like play without stuttering. Cause like a big appeal to me is just like, you're on these alien worlds with they're all alien worlds, just looking around and taking it all in like the flora, the fauna, the atmosphere, hmm. um, right. The, the, the buildings you're coming across. Um, if I had one little nitpick, it'd be that we'll just like, actual space it's it can be kind of empty sometimes or just flying around and <laughs> right not seeing much you land on a planet and you don't see much but i think that's what like the universe is really like right, you land on right. another planet you land on mars you're not like seeing a thriving uh, atmosphere <laughs> with like arnold saying <laughs> get your ass to get mars and mars. stuff like that yeah. get your ass to mars get your ass to mars and get your ass to mars see you at the party richter oh interesting i only asked that because i feel like I recognize the name and I was wondering if I maybe saw it like as an available game on one of my consoles, but I might be wrong about that. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure you did. It's been out since I think 2016, but I never was feeling up to checking it out until just like a, a week gotcha. ago. Gotcha. Oh, cool, man. All right. Um, I'll recommend. What about you, Jeff? Oh, gosh, I got a couple things I could do. Um, I'll go ahead and recommend a TV show that I just finished watching the first season of with my wife. And I'm a little behind the curve on this because I, I think this is pretty popular with a lot of people, but it's a Showtime show called Yellow Jackets. Yellow Jackets. Yellow Jackets. 
I have not heard of Philip um, Jenkins. It stars, the main star that you would know is Christina Ricci uh, and, and yes. Juliette Lewis, uh, among hmm. many other uh, pretty great female actors. And uh, it's a really good show. It's kind of pulpy and kind of crazy, It's but it's got a great premise. It's about a... Is a, a girls' soccer team that's on their way to nationals in an airplane, and the airplane crashes, and oh. the survivors of the plane crash end up having to survive in what is essentially the Canadian Rockies for 18 months before they're rescued. Jeez. And the story flashes back and forth between the girls on the ground uh, after the plane crash, like trying to survive and a handful of the girls now as grown adults, like trying to patch up their lives like 20 years after this event has happened. Um, And uh, it's really good. It's like I said, it's kind of crazy at times. It's a little pulpy. It's uh, uh, you got to suspend your disbelief at some times. (laughs) Um, but man, it was engaging and, uh, it's set. The girls soccer team is set in the nineties. And so the soundtrack is all these great nineties, like alternative rock and stuff songs. And the needle drops on it are just fantastic. And, um, I have to say I thoroughly enjoyed it. So if you've heard about yellow jackets or haven't, but, uh, want to check it out, I highly recommend it. It's a showtime show check it out there's one full season that just uh completed um recently so i think on showtime yeah, i think a second season is in the works but uh yeah it was pretty good pretty good huh oh man that sounds like really intense but pretty like intense, what, yeah can you maybe dip into a little bit about like where does it go a little bit uh, different is it kind of like uh, what was a hyper realism or something like yeah, that? Yeah, a little, a little bit, and um, like the when the girls are trying to survive in the wilderness, like there's a little bit of a supernatural element that they run into. Hmm. Um, uh, there's some sort of there's a couple scenarios where they like inadvertently take drugs and have like sort of drug induced hallucinations slash real things that happen that are pretty horrific. Um, so there's definitely a horror element to it. Um, and then when they flash forward into the present time, when some of the remaining team members are kind of trying to patch their lives together, there's, um, there is sort of an alternate storyline of them trying to solve a mystery, um, which huh. is really good. So it's kind of two storylines that happen simultaneously that sort of weave together. And the things that happen in the past when they're in the woods sort of impact things that happen in the present time. Um, so I don't want to, I don't want to say too much more because I want to give away any spoilers or plot points, but uh, it's pretty well done. And Christina Ricci is kind of amazing in the part that she plays. I always know her as kind of, as, as an adult, she's played a lot of sort of like sexy seductress kind of roles. And that is not her role in this movie. She plays much more of like a brainy, kind of frumpy um, introvert, not introvert, but um, she's got a personality that kind of isolates her from the rest of the world. So. Um, it's really interesting to see her play this character, and she does a great job of it. So, 
Yeah. Huh. It's uh it's good. It's good. I highly recommend it. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's Yellow Jackets. Yellow Jackets. That's the name of the soccer team is the Yellow Jackets. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Sounds intense. Thank you for your recommend. John, I think we're here. Right. Is this better than Predator? <laughs> I feel like we that was about ten that. minutes ago, John. Where? How many glasses of wine have you had? Uh, it was just like a little cup of rum. So I'm back on this keto thing, but I can still drink hard A. Hey, I can't handle it anymore. I need to know what's going to happen next. What's what's going to be our next oh. movie, John Zabriskie? Oh my gosh! Well, uh, I can throw you off the scent by telling you that Gene Hackman is in this movie. I love Gene Hackman. This is I do this too. Is exciting. Oh my gosh. Is it old Gene Hackman or new Gene Hackman? Newer Gene Hackman. Uh I guess older. Okay. I am gonna say seventies Gene Hackman. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm really throwing you off, too. Don't you worry. Are. <laughs> <laughs> and now keep in mind he was the bad guy in a movie I referenced during North by Northwest. There's a movie called Prime Cut where people are being chased by a combine harvester. Yeah, okay, right. By this big fat farmer. And we, th- we, th- we think the big fat farmer harvester driver was hired by the bad guy, Gene Hackman. But this is not the movie. This is not that okay, movie. Okay, okay. There's a movie shot in black and white. Whoa, okay. It's a comedy. Whoa, a 70s comedy yeah. starring gene starring gene hackman uh, not starring okay. no, featuring sorry. gene hackman. He's, he's in it he's in it and it's in black that. and white yes oh my gosh i don't know if i've seen this movie i mean you, you might have i i'll say you might have i don't know if you definitely have but i'm sure you've heard of it i, I guarantee you've heard of it oh my gosh is he is gene hackman on the poster let me see uh one two no, Gene Hackman is not I actually. I so on the want to Google this, but I'm not going to cheat. Uh, Don't Google it. I'll, I'll give you some more uh, hints. Okay. Okay. So uh, let's see. I said it's a black. It's, people it's, out there I said it's a comedy. I should know what this is, but this might be just yeah. something I've never seen. I don't know. It's it's an homage to early '30s Universal movies, monster movies. Oh. It's, it's, Can you think of any comedies that are homages to Yes, yes. Is it Young monsters? Frankenstein? It is Young oh, Frankenstein, yes. Man, what a great uh, choice. It's been so long since I've seen Young Frankenstein. It's coming from the deep, dark recesses of the mind of Mel Brooks. I love him. Young Frankenstein. Oh, you hear me? This guy means business. Starring Gene Wilder as Dr. Frankenstein. That's Frankenstein. Peter Boyle as the monster. Marty Feldman as Igor. My grandfather used to work for your grandfather. I'm sure we'll get along splendidly. Oh. (laughs) Horace Leachman as Frau Blucher. And Madeline Kahn as Elizabeth. What are you going to do to me? I'm not afraid of you. Kill the monster! See Mel Brooks' Young Frankenstein. Yes, I think we could all use a good laugh. But don't see it alone. Don't miss Young Frankenstein. Personally directed by Mel Blazing Saddles Brooks. In black and white. No offense. 
That's pronounced Frankenstein. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so fun. Do you know what scene you've chosen? Yes, 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 yes. I had, to, I had to think long and hard about it because I was partly inspired by our lead up song where one of the verses is yell at your class and stab yourself in the leg. <laughs> that's from Young Frankenstein where he yells at the class that is not that I don't think he, I don't remember if he yells that it's young, that it's pronounced Frankenstein. Or if it's something else that he theorized, then he stabs himself in the leg with a scalpel and he waits till the whole <laughs> class leaves and he's like, <laughs> not showing up. But that's not the scene. The scene is where Gene Hackman plays this blind monk who the Frankenstein monster comes to <laughs> yes, visit. Okay. And the blind monk is pulling all these shenanigans. I didn't know that this scene itself is an homage to a very like touching, sincere scene where Frankenstein and the Bride of Frankenstein booth from 35, I think, oh. is visiting a blind monk who's like playing a violin and showing all this kindness to this complete stranger who doesn't talk. But the same thing happens in this scene and all sorts of hilarious shenanigans. Oh and the gosh. scene scene is about four to five minutes. I was just watching it today and it was just, oh, it's making me laugh so much. Just to double check that it's the right scene. And so good. Yeah, Young Frankenstein. I don't know the exact... Um, which McCall's, I don't know the exact timestamp, okay. uh, but fun fact that I've like, I've given away or sold almost all my DVDs, but the ones I've kept are like the star Wars trilogy. Um, the first two Spider-Man movies, uh, Indiana Jones, of course, actually like all the Star Wars movies I had up to that point, I think one through yeah. six, um, Indiana Jones and this wow. and young Frankenstein. And I think that's, yeah. Um, fun fact: I don't think I've watched Young Frankenstein in over twenty years. Wow! Uh, yeah. And uh, I remember my mom showed me this movie when I was a teenager, like a young teenager, like maybe when I was like thirteen mm-hmm. or something. And I remember mm-hmm. it being very, very funny. Um, but I don't think I've ever watched it since. So this is exciting! I can't wait to revisit this one and talk about it with you. How fun is that? Yeah, me too. It's it's it was like I said, it's one of the DVDs I kept because uh, I'm sure I was like a lot of people our age when right DVD machines came out and they're all the rage. You went out and you just went to buy all your favorite right. movies and maybe some of the cheaper movies you could on DVD. Yeah, you got to hit that bargain I, bin at Blockbuster. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what I did, and I seem to remember picking this up at a whatever uh, Fred Meyer or Blockbuster for really cheap, and then. Like having heard about it, watching this for the first time, probably in my 20s, and I've watched it a few times since. Um, I, I will say in prepping for this, I would highly recommend if you can watch it with the commentary mm, as well. Okay. I mean, maybe you have to watch it one and a half times, but like Mel Brooks does a say, fantastic a job Mel on the commentary. It's a, it's a solo Mel Brooks oh, commentary. Fantastic. And then uh, he's just making jokes along the way. He is just totally enjoying the ride of watching his own movie. Uh, unlike little John McTiernan. <laughs> Boo. Boo. When, he, when he was commentating his own movie, and he just you just tell he couldn't care a rat's ass to be there. Yeah. But Mel, Mel Brooks is so appreciative of Gene Wilder, Terry Garr, and Peter Boyle, Marty Feldman, Cloris Leachman. You know, that was a, list here. Sorry to interrupt you. That was a, a lot like uh, watching UHF with the Weird Al commentary. He was... Just delighted oh. to watch his own movie and like praise all the different people that helped him make it. it. I love, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Cool, man. All right. Well, I'm excited for that. Um, well, should we wrap things up here? I think we'll have to wrap things up. So was this better than Predator? <laughs> 
Oh, we answered, we answered that 15 yeah. minutes ago. I've had two glasses of wine since then. <laughs> I'm in too deep. Okay. Um, all right. Oh, yeah. This is where we talk about our bona fides. Jeff, where can people find you? Oh, yes. Okay. You can find me on the Twitter. I am Carl underscore Hungus 314. Come follow me there. My name is Carl. He's been expert. John, where can we find all things Predator? Not Predator Minute. Oh, my oh it's been. Where can- yeah. <laughs> Jeez, that just rolled right off my tongue. That was crazy. Where can we find all things Seen It All with Jeff and John? Uh, well, you can find us on Twitter. Um, this is at Seen It All. So that's at. S C E N E it all underscore. <laughs> you can join the Facebook group. It's just the name of the show. Seen it all with Jeff and John, or you can email the show. Seen it all podcast at gmail.com. That's S C E N E it all podcast at gmail.com. Uh, I believe I already read Joseph Parker's email the last mm-hmm. time we talked, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the last, that's the last piece of mail we received. <laughs> Really, not even, even, there's not even junk mail in there. <laughs> so thank you, Joseph Parker, for being, um, I think, our sole contributor. Yeah. Four or five thanks, times Joseph. so far. Yeah, thanks, Joseph. All right. Well, send us off, John. You got it, Jeff. For all things seen at all with <laughs> Jeff and John, I've been John Zabriskie. I am Jeff Glover. And until next time. <laughs> Stick around. Stick around. Stick around. Stick around. (laughs) Fuck you! Fuck you! (laughs) Just a couple household chemicals in the right proportions. Sure made them think twice, though. What the hell's in those things, Bert? You household chemicals in the proper proportion. (laughs) Oh, what's that last line? Oh, what a good line. Broke into the wrong goddamn rec room, didn't you, you bastard? Oh, you bastards. <laughs> oh, what a line. That's like, oh, one of many lines from this movie, clearly. A lot of good lines. That's the line, though. That's the that's the one to remember. <laughs> Broke into the wrong goddamn rec room, didn't you, you bastard? You wanna see, yeah, you wanna see, like when the xenomorph took out Harry Dean. You wanna see, yeah, you wanna see, like when Bobby D says you're talking to me. You can go to the diner for a meal with Meg. You can yell at your class, stab yourself in the leg. You can upgrade your boat for when sharks attack. And you can be like Arnold, tell him I'll be back. You wanna see, yeah, you wanna see, like when the xenomorph took out Harry Dean. You wanna scene yeah you wanna see like when bobby d says you're talking to me jeff and john talk scenes and quotes jeff improvises while john takes notes from mozambique to montreal you can join in the chat on scene it all you wanna see yeah you wanna see like when the xenomorph took out harry dean you wanna see yeah you wanna see like when bobby d says you're talking to me Seen it all with Jeff and John.